0: so kind, staring out into space, asking God to hear my case, trying to think of all things past.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer Speaks, and we have a great show today. We're going to be talking about uh, CNAs and kind of what their inside skinny is to dementia care. And uh, before we get into our topic, though, we always get new listeners, and they always want to know who the heck is Alzheimer Speaks and what are you doing? Well, bottom line, my mom had dementia for 30 years, and that was a huge shift for me. I changed career careers and decided I wanted to be an activist and an advocate for the disease and, and bring things uh, to life in new venues, one of them being a, a radio talk show where we talk with everybody, uh, people who have dementia, family and friends, businesses, um, researchers, musicians, movie directors, advocates, you name it. We, we want to have the conversation because we know it takes all of us in this field. And so bottom line, Alzheimer Speaks is just an advocacy-based company that provides multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. And not only do we have the radio platform, we have a blog, we have a resource website, uh, we do video interviews with who I call are the true experts, those living with the disease called Dementia Chats. Um, And I also go around and speak and train and consult around the country as well. So feel free to check us out at alzheimerspeaks.com. You can get lots of uh, good information there. Our philosophy is really pretty simple. We believe that the only way we're going to win this battle is to work collaboratively together. And I know that that's working thanks to each and every one of you. You see your likes, your clicks, your shares with your Facebook friends, your Pinterest peeps, your LinkedIn colleagues, um, your Twitter tribe. Every time you push um, one of our platforms out with content, um, you are expanding basically our base, and because of that, uh, we got acknowledged by Sharecare and Dr. Oz as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's and we were also just recently recognized by Maria Shriver as an architect of change for humanity and I truly believe that when we can raise everyone's voice and get them the information they need the easier it is for people to grab onto it and when they decide the time is right because there's a lot of people in our spheres Dealing with dementia. We love having our everyday conversations, just sharing knowledge um, to help remove some of the stigmas and to spur people on with passion to get involved and um, use their time, their talent, and their skills uh, to make a difference. So, again, thank you to all of our listeners. We really, truly do appreciate you. I want to give a shout out to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation in Arizona they have a four pillars approach which is absolutely fantastic it's kind of a holistic approach so you know, if you're into food, nutrition, meditation, things like that, check out the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention uh, Foundation. I also want to give a shout out to our friends at the Call Alert Center because they uh, work wonders when somebody is missing. You see, uh, and I've even signed up for my grandchildren. They have a program for older adults, for college students, for young kids, uh, for business travelers. In case somebody would go missing, you can actually set up a digital file that is all set to push out and work in, uh, in conjunction with the police to find a loved one and it's very inexpensive and it's just a It's a nice little safety blanket to have because we never know uh, when a situation like that might arise. I also, before I introduce our guests, want to just mention, if you haven't heard, we're really excited. We are doing a um, dementia-friendly symposium and cruise this fall on Holland America. And we're going to be gone for seven days in the Eastern Caribbean And we have four people with us that will be speaking that actually have dementia, Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shearer, and Mary Reed, along with um, Cindy Leszczynski, who is a founder of a um, dementia-friendly community in northern Colorado. And we also are lucky enough to have Becky Watson join us, who is a music therapist And then our travel agent is an RN on top of it, and she's just been fabulous to deal with, uh, Kathy Schoaf. So you can just, again, go to alzheimerspeaks.com. There's a flyer you can print out. You can click, actually, and and get more information regarding programming. You do have to um, book your book your cabin through Kathy in order to be part of the symposium so you know you don't want to go someplace else she'll be able to handle everything for you there. So with no further ado here let's go ahead and introduce our for our uh, our guest today. We are going to be talking with Corey Rotella and uh, she began her work in long-term care in 2008 so almost 10 years ago, and she started as a caregiver on a memory care unit. Um, and she tells tells me that this, this whole position um, in the memory care literally changed her life. Um, she's a member of the Alzheimer's Association and a co-author um, of both a book and a blog called The CNN Edge, A Voice from the Trenches of Long-Term Care. She was honored to be the keynote speaker alongside her co-authors at the 2016 Pioneer Network Convention. And if you're not familiar with the Pioneer Network Connection, just Google them. They're a fantastic organization. In her free time, Corey likes to paint, write, and she volunteers at a behavioral health center. So welcome, Corey. How are you today?
2: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, I'm excited to have you because we don't hear the voice uh, of uh, CNAs very often. And I think you guys play such a a critical role. But before we get started, um, can you tell people what does CNA stand for? Because a lot of people in our audience might not know that.
2: Um, It stands for Certified Nursing Assistant.
1: Okay, thank you. And um, again, I think it's critical to hear your voice because you are in direct contact with people uh, with dementia and uh, who are aging, um, you know, all the time. And I I know not all companies... um, communicate as well as is what I'd like to see and I don't know if that's what what you um, have found but we're going to find that out through our conversation here but before we start on our talking points can you just let our audience know um, if you have been personally touched with your own family and friends uh, by dementia?
2: Um, actually it's interesting right now my grandmother who just turned 90 and she and I have been exceptionally close my entire life. You know, she, she's always been my go-to person mm-hmm. any, any, since I was a child, little girl. And her, she, she's got dementia. And it's, it's such a different experience for me. And, and it comes with a fair amount of guilt because I've been doing this for so long. But what I never considered is I have a whole lifetime of memories. And it's a complete redefining of the role.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, because my first instinct when anything arises in my personal life or anything I want to share that's exciting is I got to call Graham. Mm-hmm. But, but it's just it's a different role now. It's um, it's the lifetime of memories that it that I um, that I can't seem to detach from, and so it's given me a new depth of understanding for family members. That that are living with with loved ones who are living with this disease, it's, it's something I didn't consider and I don't know why I didn't, but I didn't consider until it's it's affected me personally and it's a it's a whole different world than caring for people in the facilities or, you know, on the job than it is. I, it's hard. It's it's much, much harder.
1: Yeah. And you're, you're not the first person who has said that. It's like, my gosh, I've, I've worked in this industry. It seems like forever. And now I have a whole different viewpoint um, of what it's like. I had uh, one nursing home administrator uh, sitting on one of my presentations and he just broke down in crocodile tears. And he's like, I am so sorry. He's like, this just hit me like a load of bricks. He's like, Everything I've told people is wrong, and he's like, I thought it was right at the time, but he's like sitting on this side with my dad now. With it, I would do things so differently, and um, I, I think that perception can really be an eye opener. And it's not that everything we say is wrong, but we know we could have maybe said it in a different fashion, maybe been a little bit more patient or a little more compassionate, um, knowing what it what it feels like sitting on that. That other side of the desk, um, with when you're actually involved with a family member.
2: Yeah, it's absolutely true. And you know, it's I oh, I would get frustrated with family members sometimes because I would I would think, why don't they come here more regularly? You know, mm-hmm. I love their mom, aunt, you know, son. It, I love this person, and they're so sad because they don't see. It never stopped. I never stopped to consider how hard it is for them
0: mm-hmm.
2: because it is, it's like grieving the person you've known your entire life while trying to get to know the person that they are becoming through walking with this disease. Mm-hmm. And so I find, I find that that depth has it, this, my personal experience, it's increasing my empathy. It's it's increasing my empathy and giving me more knowledge for what it, I, it's just not an avenue that I had considered previous to my own personal experience. Mhm. Cuz it's hard. It's it's and and now I I understand a little bit more and I think that I can a- apply that mm-hmm. to the field now.
1: Yep. Wonderful. Why don't you tell our audience, you know, why you um feel it's important for um CNAs and in those in uh memory care units to have good work ethics? and um, help raise that level of expectation you know how do you how do you go about doing that
2: well i have found that in, in variety of areas in in this field that i've worked that there's very little guidance you have a set of standards that you have to meet and a set of um consistent standards that you have to meet but within that framework there's there's so much freedom and you they're not pushing you because the in my experience the administrators are more concerned with keeping census up with um making sure that the t's are dotted and the things look good in case dss comes in but outside of that they really don't have a wealth of practical knowledge of dementia or alzheimer's in 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 the past in in the past facilities that i've worked in and so they don't expect much they expect you to come in and they expect you to leave and they expect you know documentation but outside of that the turnover is so high that that the expectations are quite low for caregivers and i think that that is something that's sad but it's it's something that i've seen time and time again and and the only way i know to change that is to to come up with my own set of ideals and to excel you know, I see the people within my care.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't see them as as somebody that's filling a bed or somebody that's paying rent or somebody. I don't see them as what stage of the disease they're in. I see them as who they are, and because of that, there there's a unique relationship between the caregiver and the resident. We know them. We know them better than their nurses, better than their doctors, because we're there with them during the most vulnerable moments. So I feel like because of that, we have an obligation to them. And and that obligation is both deeper than the requirements of the job and more profound if we allow it to be. And I think that it's up to us to develop that because that's not something that's going to be on your job performance.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
2: not going to be something that you know, you could just see as a met standard. And that just, I've learned that from working with seasoned caregivers, that that's something that we have to kind of do on our own. And um, so I i might be all over the place with that answer, but I, I'm trying to express it in the best way I can. It's so hard to explain. Well, but I think that it's up to us to to develop our own work ethic because quite frankly, I think the ones that are set by state and by individual facilities are, are lacking. I think mm-hmm. that we can do better.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, but it's, it's hard nowadays with the workforce because we've got such a shortage um, and we've got such a diversity. Um, there can be some communication gaps as well. Um, and and just work, work ethic standards from culture to culture can be so so varied as well. Um, how do you how do you promote staff taking on that responsibility? I, I just see, and I, I'm going to go outside the box of even healthcare care, but I just I don't see and, and maybe I'm not looking deep enough, but I just don't see people care that much anymore about going, above and beyond what they have to, to get their paycheck.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and, and it's in, in, in my mind, I think it's a marathon. It's not something that is going to happen overnight or easily, but I have found both in the field and outside of the field in my personal life. If you have expectations, people tend to meet them. If you treat people as if they're valued, they tend to work harder.
0: Mm-hmm. If
2: you, something as simple as knowing the cashier's name in the food line down the road from me, it really has made a difference just in my personal interaction, cause it reminds them that they're a person outside of just their job title and they'll go that extra step. And, and I have found that I have gone the extra step because of that. And I really think I. I think that I've innately known that, but definitely, definitely working in this field has reminded me of that because that's how I apply my relationship with my residents. I know them,
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
2: I know their patterns of behavior. I know their moods. I know them as individuals and I connect with them on that level. And because of that, yes, there are moments I have to redirect and I have to come back because there's agitation, but for the most part they respond differently. So if you have a field full of workers who feel underpaid, underappreciated and disposable, they're not particularly motivated to go beyond that. The only motivating factor that they have is their connection with the residents. And and that's something that you have or you don't have. So I would say it incentivize, listen, I that's the number one complaint I hear from from most caregivers. And myself included, you know, we're telling you that this is a different behavior, and you're doing nothing,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then it, as if you're not even—it's not even a valued bit of information. But then, when something happens, you want to know what happened. Well, you—you you didn't pay attention, mm-hmm. and and after a while, on our end, people stop being as observant and stop bothering to note everything all the time because they feel it goes on any unheard and they have a bunch of other residents so they cut that corner and then it's just a spiral that leads it's a cycle that leads to nowhere good and i think that there's accountability on every end and simple things like active listening could change that Mm -hmm.
1: yeah Um, i i just um one of the frustrating things that I find is, like you said, just having an employee be appreciated. And we always think that that has to come from the top down. And ideally that's where we'd like it to start and for, for the top down to really lead by example, but that's not always the case. And we can't, um, you know, if we're really compassionate about making change, we can't use that as an excuse either because each one of us does have an impact on another. And, one staff person, you know, one peer, one family member can reinforce the good and and show them that they're valued, um, and and that that can make a difference. I mean, I see it all the time. Uh, one of the um, uh, one of the situations that I hear so often when I travel the country, and I'll use uh, activity coordinators, for example, you know, because they're so entrenched with their with their uh, residents and, uh, and their families, and they may not be happy with their position, but they say all the time, oh, I can't leave my people. I can't leave my people because they're getting fed from their residents. But we need to go deeper, um, you know, with that. I, I totally, totally agree Um with your with your insights on that have you done anything um, or changed the way you work to reinforce other other um, peers and and uh, care partners and cnas and nurses to
2: housekeeping you know just everybody i um, i try to bring my energy and enthusiasm I'm, i'm i'm sort of i this field i landed in and my eyes are opened, my eyes are opened by it. And I was like, okay, well, what can we do? Mm -hmm. See, I've never felt defined by my role. I I, I say, this is is the situation and this is where I'm at and this is what I can bring to it. And I'll just keep trying because I can try every day for the rest of my life and maybe nothing will happen, but definitely nothing will happen if I don't try. Mm And I pay attention, I pay attention to my coworkers. You know, I had um, my the lady that trained me and she's amazing. And she had been in the building, uh, the that particular facility through three different name changes and through three different owners and countless administrators. And she, like your activity director, she was like, I can't leave my people. Mm-hmm. You know, I just can't leave them. I just can't abandon them because they see so many changes in faces that I'm one that they recognize. And she taught me one of the most important um lessons that I'd learn on that field, which is we don't pick our residents. You don't pick the easy and the nice and then you, you you meet them where they're at.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And whatever their past is and whatever you know they behaviors they may exhibit you meet them where they're at and that is the nature of what we do you know and i thought wow you know there's a world of people that would have overlooked this woman or dismissed her and yet she's teaching me incredibly valuable lessons that i can apply both in the field and outside of the field and it was it's really it's been an eye-opening experience in that you never know who who your teacher is going to be and if you only look at the paperwork on the wall you're really going to miss out on some valuable lessons my residents teach me all the time all the time about perseverance about smiling in the face of terror I mean I know I can't even imagine what it's like to be diagnosed and yet these they don't for the most part give up if there's an activity they go if they're having a rough day you know depending on their level of dementia but they they engage and they're trusting when I don't know that I could be in that situation and so they inspire me and so I have found that for me, that it's not just what I bring; it's it's what they give to me. And and I think that most caregivers who have been in the field and have not been burnt out or jaded, would would say the same thing. I hear it pretty regularly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I would agree, um, Corey. Let's talk about the importance of communication. And um, I, again, I love that you dig deeper than just kind of a, a verbal communication, which is everybody's kind of standard go to, yet non nonverbals, you know, are three quarters of, of our communication standards. Talk a little bit about your thoughts about communicating with the with people with dementia and people that are working, you know, that are new and coming into that environment working with those with dementia.
2: Um nonverbal nonverbal communication and cues are so important because in my experience there's what somebody is telling me and then there's what they're showing me so if i if i see a resident has been agitated you know i can look at what's been going on you know did they have a family member that visited and then left and they're upset and they can't communicate that so it, I I have found that it's it's almost like a it's almost understanding a language.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's it's funny because it's it's become second nature to me, but I I had to learn it and I think that you you can look at, at you can learn about using your your gesturing and not coming from behind and all of the things that they teach us that it's common sense but what they don't teach us is look at what's gone on throughout the entire day and you'll find the clues to what your resident is trying to say and um and listen you know active listening if they're upset about something and and they're in and like say it's because they want a soda and they can't have sugar or something that it's not usually about the soda Mm -hmm. it's about something else and if you just sit there and let them say they will eventually get to expressing what's really upsetting them in 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 one way or another and then sometimes they just want to be heard or seen um and and also communicating comes the number one skill in communicating with a resident is knowing that person you know you can i can work in any facility but until i know the resident in my care i'm not going to be very effective and they have patterns and and once you learn them you 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 know when they're off and you know when they're upset and and so um i i find that they they communicate more with more ability when they feel when they feel safe and comfortable and communicating with coworkers uh i find that people talk at each other too much in this field it mm-hmm. seems like there's often and maybe it's every field, but it seems like so many so many people talk at each other, and they're busy pointing out, well, this shift is harder than this shift, and if this person did this, and I'm like, you know, we're all in the same boat, so maybe talk with each other. You'd be surprised. It, just just having a conversation with somebody, one on one, you're reaching points that you both agree on. You know, if you would just stop with the the caddy and just have a conversation. And um, I have found that even when the people around me aren't doing that, I try to consistently do that. And because of that, they communicate better with me.
1: Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, it was interesting, some of the things you were talking about communication and, you know, uh, for example, with uh, routines and, and uh, all, all the various points that you made. And I was kind of sitting here smiling, going, yeah, that's the same for all of us. You know, but we still have this thing where dementia is so different than us versus looking at the similarities in terms of how to communicate and and why to communicate um, and what the needs are. Um, everybody feels comfortable <laughs> if they feel accepted. Everybody feels comfortable if their routines are um, validated and appreciated and held to. And, um, and knowing why those routines are important to individuals, Makes a big difference in terms of approaching them in any type of change, with um, with that system. So I think that that's a, that's a, a really good point. Now um, you've talked to me before about you know the needs for training for for CNAs and and you have a kind of a three C's approach. Can you uh, tell our audience what your three C
2: approach is? Um, consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, in, in 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 as much as possible, and some days it's it's not possible because sometimes you're short staffed and you know. But as much as possible, have a consistent routine, even if the only consistency that you can muster at that time is tone of voice and a smile. Mm-hmm. They will recognize tone of voice and a smile. You know, um, compassion. I feel that. Okay, I watch training videos. Right, they do the same training videos just about and or some version of the same training videos and I always kind of chuckle to myself because I think what world do they think that this is you know I would love a world where all my residents in dementia could sit down in a circle and sing you know and everybody is calm and and we are able to work in that perfect world but it is not it is not always the case so what do you do when you go into a long-term care system and you're short-staffed and you can't find a towel and your residents are acting up? I mean, what do you do then? I, I think that for me, I would I would like to see a video where you're where what it's really like for them, you <laughs> yeah. know, and I mean, where it doesn't
1: always go it, smooth. Yep, it doesn't. It
2: doesn't. And none of the videos, you know, I always think, well, how scary would it be, you know, it's, for some reason, it's really easy for me to walk in another people's shoes. I have a, a pretty active imagination, but how scary would it be for me to be at that stage where I know I'm forgetting things and I know why I'm forgetting. And I have a feeling of what's coming. And yet I feel like I'm losing control. So I'm trying to grab onto the control, you know, like these are deep impactful emotional situations that are going with on going on within them and without having that awareness, okay, well, she doesn't want to put on a brief because she feels like she's losing control of everything in her life right now. And this one thing she can hold on to, you know, they don't put that out there in training videos. They say ask three times and then move on, but they don't, they don't nearly, they don't talk about nearly enough of looking in their shoes,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: you know, and And that can be true. I have found that useful walking in the administrator's shoes. You know, what are they working on? They have 87 different bunches of paperwork and everyone's complaining. So I imagine it's hard for them too. Or a first shift person. I've worked first shift who's, they know they're short staffed and they have to pull a double just to make ends meet. You know, everyone has a story. Mm -hmm. And, if you could just hold on to that when everything seems crazy, you it it it, it just breeds a little more compassion mm-hmm. and empathy. So that's my consistency, compassion, and then calmness. Mm-hmm. And I do that with varying degrees of success because sometimes, you know, you got four call bell ring call bells ringing. You have an accident that just happened. You know, you have another CNA who needs your help. desperately. your boss is missing. You don't know where she is and you just only have two hands and two legs. And you learn how to instantly prioritize to the best of your ability on the spot. And if you, you know, anxiety and nerves and panic, it's, it's a, it's a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. And if you let that grab the wheel, something's going to get missed. So if, if I have found it. There have been times when I ducked into a linen closet just to catch my breath and say, okay, you can only do one thing at a time. That's just how time works, Corey. So pick the first thing and then go from there. So if you can find that serenity within just to tackle each task as it comes, no matter what's going on around you, your calmness it tends to if you're panicky your residents feel it what they lack in mental acuity they pick up an emotion an emotional acuity mm-hmm. and if you're panicked your coworkers feel it and if you're able to find that center and be calm regardless of what's going on around you it it impacts the people around you so Consistency, compassion, and calmness. I try to keep those three things in my head at all times.
1: Yeah, and and that's wonderful. And and yet, I I love because you're honest when you said, oh, I've, I've ducked into a linen closet, you know, just to kind of get your breath. And it's okay to take that time out. Um, I think so many people are feel out of control and embarrassed to say that, or on the verge of being out of control. But sometimes we just need to kind of kind of make a slice in the pie and, and make a definition of, okay, this isn't healthy right now for either of us. And I just need, I just need to take a breath to be able to calm myself, center myself. And then I can, then I can go back in and, um, and maybe they've done the same, you know, maybe, maybe they've taken a breath too. And, or maybe they've forgotten all about what we just went through (laughs) and we're starting, or we're starting totally fresh. I mean, you just, you don't know, but it's, it's okay to say that it's okay to admit that it's okay to, to, um, to take whatever time it is that you need so that you feel, um, compassionate and you feel calm and you feel centered to be able to move forward, to do the work that you need to do. And I know, um, you know, especially for people at work, sometimes that they might not feel that that is comfortable or acceptable or, you know, people may look at it as a sign of weakness. And I think that that's something that, um, healthy companies look at in a positive fashion. It's not like you're sneaking off to take a cigarette or, you know, sip a pop, or you know, chat with a friend. Um, you just need to focus on yourself, and um, and, and take a few minutes um, to take care of things. It's not that you're avoiding it. It's not that uh, something else is taking priority over what you're doing. It's just part of the process. And um, right. And I think sometimes we don't teach that. You know reality, this is part of the process. It's not always going to go smooth. Life doesn't always go smooth, you know. And so don't expect it to change because dementia has entered the picture. Um, But sometimes I think the expectations go up for things to be perfect, for things to be smooth, for there to be a process when illness enters. And that, you know, realistically, that's just another complication in life. And so if we can get to the state of, Okay, it wasn't perfect before. I should, I really shouldn't have that expectation now. All, all we're trying to do is be as good as we can in the moment that we have, and and, and that's
2: be beautifully be put
1: with that. So, um, but I think that that's a big shift in terms of um, work philosophies, in terms of life philosophies, in terms of company philosophies. Um, many say, you know, uh, say that, but they don't walk the talk or they don't allow their employees to walk the talk. The reins get pulled in because the budgets are tight and, you know, there's whatever's going on, or there's been a big turnover with staff, um, which, you know, both are, are heavy burdens for companies nowadays. And so the mission isn't always the vision isn't always the mission at hand in the real world. Um, And I know a lot of administrators probably aren't going to like me saying that, but it's true. Um, If, if people talk to their staff um, in, in the trenches, I think they'll find that. And not that it happens all the time, but it's, it's going to happen way more than they think is happening.
2: That's That's exactly right. Because people can't fit perfectly on paper, even Mm -hmm. when there's, no illness, Mm -hmm. Yep. but when you're illness as in, and it is, it's a people centered industry. And I understand that I have a real, really difficult time looking at it as business because how I'm wired, but I can accept that it's a business, but your business is people, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not selling shoes. And so there has got to be a level of flexibility, and and I do wish that people who run these places and who are admitted, I have, I happen to at this moment I have a wonderful, wonderful supervisor, but that has not always been the case, and. I have found i've I've worked with people who I didn't even know their names for the first two weeks. I never saw them. They went into the office and then I was told that we have a new administrator and If I never saw them and I am always on the floor, then I know my folks never saw them and i it you're you're defeating yourself mm-hmm. you know you're defeating yourself because come out and know the residents it'll make it easier i guarantee if you know their names it will make it easier and you will build the trust with the caregivers and really you and the med techs and the housekeeping because it is like a family unit if you one thing's going to run smoothly it's all going to run smoothly Yep. and if you're the head of the house then you ought to know the rest of you ought to know your children i guess for lack of a better way to put it Yep. so if you're in you know because no one's going to trust you to go with you, go to you when things are crazy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you need, you know, it's a vital, you're a vital part of this. And and if you don't know your floor, then I guarantee you're going to be able to run it or it's going to be able to run you. and 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 I find that it's just, it's simple, small little things that if you would just change that little thing, it would make a world of difference. And some do and some don't and some are open to that and some aren't, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I just, I've used it to say, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to taking care of my people now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to administration, um, of companies and dealing with their employees, ideas, any thoughts in terms of how they can reach or, um, Help employees come forward with creative ideas for improvements. Because I know everyone says their door is always open. But again, I, I, I don't think staff feel <clears throat> like it is. And again, I'm, I'm categorizing not everybody and not every department. But overall, you know, when I talk to people, when I go around the country, they'll say, yeah, that's what they say. But I don't always feel well-received. And if they don't feel well-received, then they're not going to go through that door.
2: That's, that's right. Um, I, I've done some reading and I, and I hear, and I've had experiences where I hear people say, well, they need to do something about, you know, they need better training. They need to communicate more effectively talking about CNAs. Mm -hmm. They need to do better about time management. They, they, they. And I want to say, well, none of this is existent in a vacuum, Mm -hmm. you know, I've gone to offices because again, for some reason, I just don't have that. Maybe it's because I've been in the field. I don't have that fear of it there. And I've heard, I've had bosses that talked about other people in the field. I mean, other people on the floor and coworkers. I'm like, I shouldn't know that,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, this
2: is a problem that you can solve Mm -hmm. and so yeah, there's a big trust issue.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There's a big trust issue. If I, I don't, I don't want to go and, and discuss something that I'm struggling with with a with a supervisor that may that and find out about it on the floor.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, through gossip and that it's been twisted. You know, I don't want to go and say, "Look, I'm tired. Uh, I've had to work three doubles because." we're getting paid very little money and then feel like I'm replaceable because for every one CNA, there's a million, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
2: others looking for a job. I, it's just the way to to make an open door policy is to make it genuine. Mm
0: -hmm. You know,
2: you have in services, we go to in services not in this particular facility I'm working at now, but in another facility, then I would be like, we have all of this information. And we had this wonderful woman. She was, she's a social worker. She's just wonderful, had all kinds of information, really, really tried to make it. And this was not the best facility, tried to make it so that we can learn. The caregivers were there. The The ones that have been there for years genuinely love this lady. Mm-hmm. She did a virtual reality dementia training where we had things on our feet to so we would know what it feels like to have neuropathy it's just just very involved and very committed and very passionate Mm -hmm. and full of good ideas that were completely applicable to this particular facility but the but the but the administrators were not in those in services Mm -hmm. and when i said hey you know this in-service lady said what about having a rummage room because we have a lot of people who are going in and out on the units into other people's rooms it's it's a problem and when we're short-staffed it's a little bit hard to keep on top she said use one of the empty rooms and have a rummage room with bags and shoes and stuff and then each shift can go then they can go in there and rummage mm-hmm. and it's like their little store and it's fun for them and then you know each shift goes and cleans it up
0: mm-hmm. they were like
2: they they were not interested in that at all so i would say that's another good thing if you're in administration go to the in services that you that you set up for the for the other staff go there so you can hear what we're learning and then make it so we can apply what we're learning because otherwise people start to think it's a waste of time and they get frustrated and bitter and they start not going but there's a world of good information in there it's just you know information is is useless if you don't give us the ability to apply it
1: yeah yeah i know when i was I used to be in healthcare ages ago, and my rule as a supervisor was I had an open-door policy, and I said, but if you're going to come in and complain, I want to know how you'd resolve it. I, I, oh, I, I You know, I, I, because it, it isn't going to just be a bitch session, and then you're going to walk, you're going to dump and run. Um, we're all part of the problem, so we all have to fix it, and it takes all of our ideas. And I'm not promising that I can implement it, but I want to hear you know, what it is and um, how you, and most of the time we were able to implement it, but there has to be a trust factor between the the supervisor and their staff um, and their superiors that is going to allow people to make mistakes because it's a good idea to try. It's better to try than not to try. And, um, you know, in this day of Sue Happy Society, um, we've lost a little bit of that. And people are worried about more what if it doesn't work instead of looking at what if it does or what if it gets us closer to a better product. Um, you know, and and my philosophy is, is make the errors. I mean, you're not going in with the intent of making an error, but um, nothing we do is perfect. And to me, that's a big falsehood. And that's a big trap and that we need to be fluid and we need to try. And I would personally rather have um, staff that I I trust and honor to do the right thing to try something new and to not be afraid uh, uh, afraid to come to me and say, you know, this worked really well, but this part didn't. Or boy, this tanked, this really backfired and this is why. And using it as a learning tool so that you can get to the next step. Um, you know, fantastic products and, and, um, people in superior jobs, they just didn't happen there. They made a lot of screw ups along the way, but what they did was they learned from them. And, Mm -hmm. and I think it's that creativity that differentiates them, that ability to, to let it flow off their back. But that's not how society, that's not how we're brought up. We're brought up that failure is bad. And the truth is we all fail every day at at multiple things. Um, And some of them we just let roll off our back. Some of them we're just in denial that it didn't work. And other times we just don't even try because of fear of failure. And I think we have to change that mindset and work as a team and be open and be supportive and give people credit for trying to improve lives.
2: Absolutely, I find that I learn more from failures than I ever do from success.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, because if everything is going exactly right, then what's the point in learning? But if I ha- if I've hit a bump, a I learn that I can get past it. Mm-hmm. I learn how to get back up. You never learn how to get back up if you don't fall. I I and I and I learn. Okay, what do I need to work on? You mm-hmm. know, and it's just it's it is it's, it's a little bit sad. What you said is so spot on. And and it it's a it is a trap.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: because there's what appears to be and what actually is. And in the world of what actually is, there is struggle, there is failure, and then you get back up and then you relearn and then you learn about yourself and you learn about life and you keep moving forward.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, even if it's slow and with bumps, but in what appears to be, it's like you're, you're striving for an ideal that not only doesn't exist, but on a certain level, it's kind of empty. Mm-hmm you know and in doing so you're losing all of the joy and potential in the moment that actually is by living in the mindset of one that not only doesn't exist but can exist so i think i think that um yeah that's gonna i'm gonna think about that tonight that, that's a really good point
1: yeah and sometimes it's hard to get people there um and it really truly is a mindset i think that has to be lifted from the top up um, because if you go in trying to be creative and then you get criticized or you get written up or you're not supported in front of your team members, and there are some you know some supervisors that aren't the best that do criticize other staff in front of other staff and um and again, I think that's um that 's less than more, but it still is out there and it and it still happens, and that has to stop and because that kills a team that just kills a team you 've got to have one another 's backs um, within reason, and if no one is getting harmed and it wasn 't um, you know malice, um, we should be excited about trying we should be having conversations and we should be open to other people's ideas of how to make it work. And, um, and I think that's a tricky piece, too, is that when, when a staff comes with a creative idea, they may be the lead on it. But some of them have to be taught that this isn't just their baby and that they have mm-hmm. to work as a team. You know, because they're not going to be there 24-7, so other people have to be able to implement this. People are going to have different perceptions. They're going to see different things, and if you really want the best possible outcomes, everybody has to be open to that, and that's not a bad thing. That's a really, really good thing that pushes progress through much faster, um, but it's, it's very much a culture shift in most companies to be able to get to that point.
2: But it's, it's, it's worth working towards Mm -hmm. because life is change. Yep. Right. We have to adapt. We have to evolve. Yeah. I, and
1: I definitely agree with you. It's, it's definitely worth the risk and the challenge. And, and I also think that, you know, when you allow your staff to be truly a part of the innovation there, you know, the turnover is much less, the satisfaction goes up, um, the referrals from them for people to come to work for that place. I mean, those words, they spread and they have power um, because I think that's one of the things that's failing us as a country is, is everybody feels um, so disenchanted and not a part of a big, better peace. People almost feel like they're getting flushed on the toilet or, or sidestepped, and that needs to Absolutely. that needs to change. And that can be implemented, and it doesn't have to cost a lot, and it doesn't have to take a lot of time, because if 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 uh, administration really analyzes how much time they're um, taking in terms of turnover of staff and retraining or um, trying to prevent burnout um, or crisis because of that, you know, and, and when you can fill people and they're more energized, you know, they want to be there um, because yeah, they're
2: inspiring
1: them. Yep. And so, you know, granted there's a shift um, and initially it might be a little bit more work, but it's going to be a different, I would say really it's going to be more of a different type of work because you're going to be doing more mentoring than um, supervising and criticizing. And that, that allows everybody to grow.
2: I, I absolutely agree. And it makes me feel like more of an us instead of us versus them. Yeah. We, Yep. you know, And that, everybody wants to be a part of the solution regardless of whether they know it or not. People don't want to be angry. They don't want to feel dismissed. They don't, If you give, I have found for me personally, if you give them a little bit of an opening, you will be amazed. Tell them you believe in them. Mm -hmm. You know, you will be amazed. And, and, and our, our residents need that. They deserve that. Mm -hmm. They are the most vulnerable among us. And I've always felt like, well, if you dismiss the caregivers, what does that say about how you feel about the people within your, in your facility? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, people shouldn't age out of usefulness and then be considered dismissed. They're they're people, and they have a history and stories and strength and and I the people and they deserve people who care for them who know that. You know, they they deserve to feel as comfortable as possible within this given situation. And and I think that some somewhere along the way, it. It, it, it gets slipped through the cracks that, that it's about them. I know it's about your business, but it, in my world, in my world, it's not. It's about them. Mm-hmm. And if you keep it about them, I guarantee your business will grow. Because you got, what, like 76 million people about to come through the long-term care system. Yep. If you stop talking about or, or making things look really great and actually make it really great, your business will boom your business will boom just from a cost effectiveness and a business standpoint, if you just put the resources in to have a, an amazing staff and you be a part of it, and it's exciting. It can be exciting. It doesn't have to be, Oh, what are we going to do? Yeah. But, and
1: but again, will, like you
2: said, that's a culture change.
1: Yeah, And people will naturally see the difference and talk about the difference. Um, you know, still, I, I don't think people value the, the word of mouth. And um, what that can do for an organization, um, you know it, in terms of advertising bills and referral and all of those types of things, there still is nothing uh, in, in my belief more powerful than the word of mouth and getting a recommendation from somebody you trust in terms of um, in terms of a business um, or a purchase that you're going to make. Um, it, it's just, it's way powerful. It's just way, way powerful stuff. And um, yeah, I do want to ask you um, one other question. I can't believe our hour is just about up. Well, let's talk a little bit about self-care and the importance of that in, and support for not only CNAs, but family members and, and basically everybody in the caring field.
2: Oh, it's, it's vital. It's it's vital. Um, you know how they say on an airplane, which I used to think was so selfish, but I totally get it on a different level now. You know how they say on an airplane, if, if in the case of an emergency, if the mask falls, put the mask on yourself before you yep. put it on your kid. I always thought that that was crazy. And I thought, oh, that's so selfish. But I get it now in a different way, because if you don't have the mask on yourself, if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else because you have nothing to give. Yeah, you know, and I think that in this field, especially, the wages are are not good. <laughs> the wages are not good because it's viewed as a stepping stone, which I I that's a whole conversation for another day. But um, if you're working doubles and you're and you're working, you know, at two different places or two jobs, as most of us have had to do, um, you just get tired. And you get used to that pace. But I have found that that I'm exhausted without knowing I'm exhausted. And when that happens, my self-talk gets really negative. And it'll be in the background because I'm so busy. But when my self-talk in my head gets negative, my energy goes down. My attitude goes down. I'm, I stop eating correctly. I'm, I'm always on the go and running. And you can only run like that so long before you're either going to lose it are you going to be just living for the moment you can get off and eat a two pints of Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia? <laughs> <laughs> and you'll really, be like, where's my linen closet? Because I need to have a mental breakdown. But it's the situation in the system at this moment is what it is. So what we have to do is to protect ourselves. And sometimes it's as simple as remembering, am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And halt. Those are pretty simple things to fix. Mm-hmm. If I'm hungry, I can grab a snack. I can drink some water. If I'm angry, I can leave it at the door and then revisit it later. Am I exhausted? Usually, but I can take a nap on my day off. You know, so those are those are the simple fixes. But also, we deal with loss, and we deal with. Everything that we talked about, sometimes you feel unsupported and, and we deal with trying to solve unsolvable problems. And sometimes it can be a very lonely field. Private care was incredibly lonely, even though I had a whole family that I cared about deeply, you know, there were no coworkers. So it's just you and, and, and that, that leaves a toll. So it's so important to find support. I I have found an amazing online community. That's how I wound up writing for CNA Edge. Mm-hmm. But I was looking, I was like, they don't have any support. They had family support systems and that's really cool. I love that my town has a network of support groups for, for family caregivers, but I would like to see more for professional caregivers too, because we get, we get paid, but it, it, it definitely, it, it leaves a toll because you, you care about these people and, and you're walking with them through their, their hardest part and, and it impacts you. Yeah. So self-care, so important.
1: It is. And it's still one of those things that's that's hard to figure out. And even when you were asking the questions, you know, am I hungry, am I thirsty? You know, what am I? Um, sometimes we get to the point where we don't know what we are anymore because we're just so exhausted. You can't even identify the source of of what's going on because you're just so kind of, um, trampled, you know, by everything that is, uh, that you've been dealing with. And that's a, that's a really bad place to be in. Um, but I hear that from people all the time. It's, we, we need to teach people to self-identify those things earlier on and give them permission, um, and let them know this is a healthy thing. This isn't a weakness thing. This isn't a shameful thing. Um, this, this, you're doing the right thing, not only for you, but for the person that you're caring. Um, but there's still so much shame um, and stigma attached to a care partner taking care of themselves. And I think a lot of it is probably self-inflicted. But when I think of where does that come from, it's still a society standard that, you know, if people want to admit it or not, it got there somehow. And it's not just something that that is innate, that everybody feels shameful to take care of themselves or, or feeling forced to push on when they really don't have anything more to give. That came somewhere, and, and I believe that is a, was a societal standard, and I think it still is in a real unspoken way. People don't have to you know say the words, but it's the looks, it's the roll of the eyes, it's the "Oh, really?" you know it's it's those small little things that that hit the heart so deeply and people don't yeah. respond to it they don't really defend themselves cuz they don't have the energy to do it they just take it on as another burden
2: and that's not healthy no that's
1: no it's not you know all. it's not at all now, um, Corey, um, for contact information, what would you like people to have for you? Um, can they call you? Can they email you?
2: Um, I would say email me. Uh, I check my emails very regularly. Um, okay. I've been working third shift. My new job is third shift with a whole new world mm-hmm. also taught me that because I've always been a first shift worker and so now this is this is different and I have a new level of respect for third shift workers. <laughs> it's, it's just, I didn't know. <laughs> so I, I, there, this room is constantly, there's a constant learning, constant growth. And it, it, I love it. I love what I do. Um, you can reach me at Corianne Rotella, C O R E Y A N N E R O T E L L A at gmail.com or at visionaries76 at gmail.com. And I would love to hear from you. I'll answer any questions, and um, I will get back to you as soon as I get the emails.
1: Well, great. Thank you. And people can go ahead and buy the book on Amazon, uh, and uh, all they have to do is put in the title. And you want to give people the title of the book again, Corey?
2: CNA Edge, a voice from the trenches of long-term care, and the blog is cnaedge.com. We're always looking for feedback and any questions or information and experiences. So we want to hear from you.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much, Corey. It was just a delightful conversation, and I, I believe our audience will enjoy it thoroughly as well. Thank you. Thank
2: you, Lori. For those of you that I, are, I appreciate the opportunity so much
1: you 're welcome for those of you that are new to the live and social network, you might want to check out uh, rachel perrins what 's for dinner tonight. Her podcast is only ten to fifteen minutes long, but it's it 's perfect if you are hungry and don 't know what the heck to make for dinner. Uh, you can also go to kowalskis dot com and find great menu suggestions and that 's k o w a l SKIS.com. also want to remind people we would love to have you join us on our Dementia Friendly uh, Symposium in Cruise to the Eastern uh, Caribbean, November 11th through the 18th. And uh, there you may know uh, Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shear, and Mary Reed. They're all living with dementia, and they will be uh, part of our speaking uh, panel on the cruise, along with Cindy Leszczynski, who heads up a dementia-friendly community in northern Colorado, and Becky Watson, who is a music therapist. Um, And, of course, Kathy Schof is our travel agent, and she is the one that you need to book through. We're also looking for sponsors or if people want to donate to help others with dementia uh, be able to attend this cruise because maybe they can't afford it. All funds will go uh, directly towards the cruise and uh, those living with dementia uh, and or their care partners to uh, help support them on the cruise. You can reach out to me at 651-748-4714, or you can go to com. There's a great big uh, contact us and shoot me an email. There. Um, also, if you go to our Initiatives and Projects page, you'll see a tab specifically regarding the cruise there. You can find out what the program is and a little bit more about our educators and all the fun that we're going to be having. Our um, past shows on uh, Alzheimer's Speaks uh, Radio can- are all archived, too. I forgot to mention that. And uh, you can listen to those anytime you'd like. So please feel free to do that. I am going to be doing some upcoming previews of the film, His Neighbor Phil. Uh, May 20th, I'll be at St. Therese Senior Living in Woodbury. And on May 23rd, I'm going to be up in Ellsworth, Wisconsin. Um, let's see. I think that is it for now. Uh, till next week, have a blessed, uh, blessed week and mothers have a wonderful and happy mother's day. Thanks everybody. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman host